Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We had a giveaway not too long ago. Jeff, has that person claimed his prize yet? No, I have not heard from him. We have not heard from the Goose Slammer. Yep. Goose so, Slammer needs to holler at me at stanfieldhunting.com, goose at westtex.net. He won the birthday giveaway, whatever the hell you want to call it. Four people, two mornings of dove hunting, or two days of dove hunting here at the Big Honker Lodge. So, Goose Slammer, get a hold of us. All right. This podcast is brought to you by the best silhouette on the market, Dive Bomb Industries. You need to get your hands on them because they do not last. They sell out very, 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 very quickly. You need to go to divebombindustries.com today. We'll have Asher on in a couple of weeks and go over some new product they got coming out. Ooh, new products. So, uh, yeah, do not wait around on this because you will look up. It's going to be the season before you know it. You better jump on them, and you better jump on them in a hurry. They're the best. They pack up nicely. They they're durable. They look great. They you know if you're in if you're in a situation where you got to walk in and out a lot, you need dive bombs. You need to get the bags. Easy peasy. Can't beat them. Can't beat the price. So go to Dive Bomb Industries. Brought to you also by Seven Thirty Seven Duck Calls. Duck Calls made in Oklahoma. Blown all over the United States and Canada. Great duck call. Uh, that's what I blow, and if Big Daddy blows it, you should blow it too. That's 737duckcalls.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. They're changing the game. Bismuth, way to go. Heavier shot, travels further, keeps the velocity. They've also, it's to, it's turkey season, they've also got Boss Tom. Special shot for those uh, long beards standing on the end of your gun barrel, so go to BossShotShells.com. They're also starting to copper plate their their pellets. It's going to hold a tighter pattern, and they're not going to charge you any more for that. It's an upgrade, and they're not even going to charge you anymore. They're just going to absorb the cost. That's the kind of company that they are. So go to BossShotShells.com. I can't talk today. Get what you need. And we're also brought to you by Lucky Duck, the leader in spinners. Get the ones waterproof. Oh, definitely. Get the waterproof ones. Got a remote control on them. You can run five to eight of them at a time. LuckyDuck.com, look them up, is the best spinners on the market. If you're going to field duck hunt, you need some spinners. And they've got out uh, turkey, turkey, turkey full bodies. Turkeys and varmints. So. A varmint call. So look up LuckyDuck.com. Also, we're brought to you by Athlon Optics. Great optics, great glass, clear as a bell. It's what I use when I'm turkey hunting. It's what I use when I'm waterfowl scouting. They also sell scopes, everything else. AthlonOptics.com. Go to them right now. Get what you need. You need good binoculars, but you don't need to break the bank for them. So go to athlonoptics.com. Get them. We're also brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. Light up the sky. Light up the darkness. No more fumbling around in the dark. Put them on your truck, your trailer, your boat. Put them on your house as a security alarm, whatever the hell. Sea Light LEDs are the way to go. It's bow fishing time. Put them on them boats. Get out there on that water and shoot you some gar. And you can put them on your trailer for waterfowl season. It's never too early to talk about water and get prepared for waterfowl season. See a lot of LEDs, look them up. We're also brought to you by William and Chris Vineyards out of High Texas. It's a Texas wine. Sold at HEB, Whole Food, Central Market, all those all those good uh, good upscale upscale supermarkets. They're not convenience stores, they're supermarkets. Yes, that's right. Or you can go to williamchriswines.com and you can order them online and they'll ship them to you. 
So you ain't even got to get out of your underwear to get a good bottle of wine. <laughs> get on the internet, order up some Mother's Day's coming up. Not too not too far away. It's next month. It's in May. And we're brought to you by Stanfield Hanging Outfitters. Been around forever. Home of the Big Honker Lodge. Home of the Big Honker Podcast, which we're doing right here at the Big Honker Lodge. Anyways, look us up. We're going to have some weekday dove specials. That's stanfieldhunting.com, goose at west, W-E-S-T-E-X dot net, or call me in the office, 940-658-3172. I answer the phone every day, so call the office, 940-658-3172, and we appreciate you listening to the Big Honker Podcast. Okay, on this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Ron Stanfield. The old man is back in studio with us. We talk everything. We talk uh, dog training, talk a lot about that. Memories in the goose and duck blinds. It's a good time. I always enjoy having Ron on the podcast with us. So, anyway, here he is, Ron Stanfield. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. And boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm not the dumb bastard Andy is. This is Jeff Stanfield. And you are? I guess the dumb bastard. Arguing fucking consolidating schools with him. God almighty. Just telling you. It's like talk and then then after the whole the argument for ten <laughs> minutes we argue and then I said, Well, would you vote to we, consolidate? Yes. We okay. argued because <laughs> you didn't see my side. We, we, this is a whole other debate. We won't get into it. We don't I have just, to. There's, but it's funny. After it's all over with, you voted the same side I would. You said so. That's all that counts. But I, I at least think of the negatives. You, you just blindly throw your dick into the wood, wood chipper. No, I said I want what's best for my grandkids. That's all I'm saying. That's and you know, it's funny. This is not even an option that I know of out here. They're just people are talking about it. Monday's football team is going down in the dumps the last couple of years, and next year it's going to be really bad for them. They were so now they want over. I think there was Ofer, and I don't even think they're playing a varsity schedule no. this year. Monday is the former school of TCU's defensive end, Lawrence Collier, uh, LJ Collier, who will get who's going to get drafted probably in the second round, maybe the third, maybe the first. Who knows? Maybe the first. But, but anyway, that's, he's, that's he's a local kid that's twelve miles away. They've won two state championships in football in the last ten years, mm-hmm. and they've hit the six man numbers like we did. We had a great eleven man program. We went to six man and. Six six man is a stigma it puts on you. I think I really believe it does on the community, and I don't like six man football. I, I mean, I support it. It's just not. It's not the same as eleven man football. I like eleven man football. Andy played eleven man football, and if we could consolidate, that the first thing people say is, is we're also joined by Ron Stanfield and the Caribbean drum solo there on his phone. But that's the thing is, it's the first thing people mention is, oh, we could be 11 football again. That's what it's all about. But it's about the kids, and I want my grandkids to have that same opportunity that Andy had. Mm-hmm. And so if we come, I see it coming down the road. People in Monday are talking about it now because they don't want to go six man. Yeah. I don't blame them. So anyway, that was what that argument was about. Uh, and Andy kept playing the devil's advocate. Then at the end, oh, I would vote to go to 11 man to, or play double the schools up. Well, there you go. Okay. On that podcast today, 
Ron Stanfield. He's over there texting. No, I'm turning off my ringer. Oh. Damn, how many buttons you got to push to do it? He's trying to get something to slide, I guarantee you. I know, I can tell that shit. Big old fingers. They're, fine. They're trying to call me, tell me my blood's here, but that's all right. It'll wait. Oh, shit. Dad's got to have blood transfusion. It'll hold her. Look at it. Ash down. Oh. How long have you been sick, Dad? I mean, not well, mentally. Well, it's been two they're, years. They're calling again now. <laughs> you've been oh, you've been sick longer than two years. Yeah. You got you got diagnosed with leukemia about five years ago, wasn't it? No. Oh, it hasn't been, been that long. Two, three, two, three. two and a half at the most. It was during the summer. It was three years ago, I and think. And then was it last summer you got lung cancer or the summer before? Summer, summer before. before I did the surgery. Dad had lung cancer. And now you're sick again, and we got lung cancer again, right? They say you don't believe I gotta, it. Well, I got to go to the lung doctor tomorrow. And they've got a couple spots they're looking at, and I don't know yet what's going to happen. But got good prayer warriors and got good doctors, so I got faith. Well, anyways, you've been fighting a long time on this shit. Seems like it. <laughs> do you remember when you weren't sick? Oh yeah, you do. Can remember that. Yeah, I remember that far back. <laughs> Wasn't that far? Well, it look, was always something though, because when we were remodeling my house, you just had your knees replaced. Yeah, had one of them done. So you've had both knees done, hadn't you? Yeah, but when just I helped one him on his house, I just had my last one done. You're always fighting something. Seems like it. Ever since you went to college, you said open heart yeah. surgery, lung cancer, leukemia. Which wasn't that long ago. Two knees replaced. Just an old war horse. I'm still here. I never been this old before, but <laughs> I didn't know what it's supposed to be. Like. <laughs> would you have done your life different back? Would you have done took if you'd done your life all over again? What would you change on it? Well, I'd probably just done more of it and tried to do it better. I had a good good time, a good life, and don't regret hardly anything. And my career when I was a firefighter, I enjoyed it all that, even though it was some ugly work, but. But I wouldn't trade nothing for it. You think being a fireman today is different than it was when you grew up? Oh yeah. I mean, how, how it was when you were a fireman? Yeah, I stood, I stood in the middle of five houses one night shooting water on them. They don't have fires now like we had then. Now that's just because technology, don't you think? Not better construction, sheetrock. Yeah. Now, you, Insulation's you, not new, old newspapers. Now you was a fireman on the on the the black side of town or east side, whatever we call it. Part of the time. And you told me when I was – you used to talk about it, as I, and I didn't realize when I was little, but you've told me since I got older, that a lot of times those people had cardboard and stuff stuffed in the – They weren't all black. It had that. They didn't – boards were nailed one beside the other in the cracks, and they put just the cardboard. Oh, so it wasn't just east side. It was all a lot of houses. A lot of houses and weren't, you know, fancy or dup yet. And and they would just run the stove? They'd and they Do what they could warm. do to stay warm. and <clears throat> Because y'all had house fires every shift just about, didn't you? Yeah, we used to, I've loaded wet hose lots of times. And you, was the fire station politically correct place? <laughs> no, not even. So they don't have probably as much fun as y'all did then as a fireman? I doubt it. They'd probably go to jail for some of the stuff they did when I was there. Y'all played volleyball whenever you were? That was until they made us quit. We had more on-job injuries on the fire department volleyball in the whole city of wichita had they made us quit mm. we had broke legs and everything. Oh, shit so the, the old guys now that are there that are running it were like rookies when you were there no some of them aren't just being born when i <laughs> well <laughs> the majority of them are right those guys retired and i didn't even know that's how long you've been retired i've been retired 24 years i think 
Are you when you go to the old retired breakfast? Are you one of the last of the old Dodgers that are there? No, there's some that's a little younger than me, but there's some that's older also. There's some that were there when I got there, at least to start, you know, in, in their career. But there ain't none of them at that deal that you didn't know as a fireman. No, no, I knew them all. That's crazy. That's a that's a cool fraternity to be a member of, though. That's what I'd liken it to. All right, Dad, you've been around the lodge since it started. What 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 is the biggest thing you've seen in the difference with clients from the day we started till today? Because you remember things different than I do. Because I, I I remember the early days, but I didn't really know what was you know I was young and. Well, you have a lot more confidence in yourselves and and what we're doing, and and the people that are coming. Also, I mean, you've had some some guys come here that were kind of funny acting anyway, off and on. And, you know, they just they are you just, talking about gay guys or? Well, the you know, guy wanted to have his airplane warmed up where he could run to Mexico or something and some doctors. <laughs> yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> I wanted to go to the whorehouse, yeah. and the poor Christian priest. I'll tell that story real quick. We had a, a group of guys come here, probably one of the biggest assholes we ever had. You haven't done your one, two, three, boom yet, have you? Yeah. Well, we, we talked about Andy being a dumbass, so we kind of skipped some of that. But we had a, I had a group of guys here, and two they had three guys, and two of them were really nice guys. One guy was just a real horse's ass. He, made, he, he introduced himself as a doctor, and – Found out afterward he'd been here that he wasn't a he doctor he had a PhD he was a doctor in education but he wanted everybody to think he was a medical doctor and then so they had a preacher though that was their pilot poor guy he read the Bible all the Bible thumper guy and he was on the phone telling his wife that these poor guys want to go to Mexico and he was scared to death they were going to make him fly to Mexico <laughs> but the plane wasn't insured to land in Mexico but he was going to fly to the whorehouses well they was all talk all shit but oh that guy was a horse's ass that was a long time ago. Them guys wouldn't do with me. I, I wouldn't put up with that shit now. That guy. You brought me out here one day. We had a, there was peanuts planted behind the lodge between here and the river. And you brought me out here and showed me that. And then this old ranch house sat over here. And you said, Daddy, I want to put a hunting lodge in this house. It had been sitting there vacant for a while, but it was clean for an old vacant house. And so anyway, I come out here and I bring my dog truck and my helper and I'd let her do some obedience training in the shade and I'd go in and fix sheetrock and we fixed the thing up where we could use it. And yep. The first season we was building beds and they were scooting suitcases under them for we, night four dove season. And that's every year here though. Well I know it but that's where it started out like that. <laughs> it started out the first year. It's a huh? tradition that we wait till the last minute to get all our shit done. In June and July, it's not fun to get shit ready, but August 17th, by God, we got to hump and get stuff done. August 31st. Yeah. Most of the time. We had to run off the rattlesnakes. <laughs> How many rattlesnakes we killed that first year here? 38 around that house. That's crazy. It's amazing. And, and nobody got bit. Nobody no. got bit. No dog got bit. I've only had one guy get bit on a pheasant hunt, and I didn't think he got bit. He asked me if I thought he got snake bit, and I said, did you hear one? He said, no. I said, did you see one? I said, no. He said, no. And I said, well, what makes you think you got snake bit? He said, well, it hurts. And I said, well, hell, I see stickers in your sock. You've been got sandburrs all on your pants. That's probably what hurt you. Yeah. And that what he went back to Dallas, and they took him to yep. hospital, and he tested positive for rattlesnake bite. <sighs> Who's, who? It injected him? 
I guess it had some. God dang. You're lucky. If uh, but let's talk, let's talk about some of the old guides that you's with. Who 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 are some of the guys you've enjoyed hunting with the most of all the guys that's worked for? Well, I've had a good time with most of them, but I did a lot of hunting with Jamie. He was different and fun and a good hunter. And then I hunted with Dave Reese and talked to last time, and then I hunted with all of them. I've hunted with less with them the last few years doing the pheasant hunts than I did in the old days. Yeah, back in the old days, you hunted every day. I did, almost. I'd be scary to know how many birds you killed some of those years. Well, I got my share. Well, you, you let's just say you hunted 80 days, and we shot a limit most every day, so you probably killed legally 400 birds. There's no telling how many you shot that you helped shoot. Might have shot that many somebody else's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime I had a problem group, I'd send dad in the group. If I had a, a guide, the group that was pushing the guide around, I'd, I'd send dad out in the morning with him because I knew shit wouldn't be, wouldn't do it. You were the first person to ever call a hunt for a guy quick shooting. Yeah, that's a good friend. Go ahead and tell that story. We were hunting in a peanut field over by Rule and we was working and birds was coming i was hunting i seems like i was hunting with brian maybe brian sullivan i think so i think that's right and boy these birds was working and then somebody jump up out there and shoot before they ever got close enough or squared up and second time i said that's it we ain't gonna do that the guy's blowing his guts out trying to call these birds and here you run it for everybody and I don't think that's how you said it, Dad. Well, maybe not like quite that. I think I think the word was we're fucking finished, and you threw your shit down, and <laughs> they started picking up, and then the guy comes in my office, and he was all perplexed. Well, I just I don't know what got into your dad. He was a friend of yours. No, well, well, he is now. He come a lot of times. Oh. He wasn't the one that quick shot you. Though, it was a guy no, with him. No, it was somebody he brought. Guess what, Andy? Dallas Safari Club guys. Imagine <laughs> that. Surprise, surprise. Think yeah. they know shit. And meanwhise, that guy's like, I, I just, I can't believe it. We, you know, we're paying for the hunt. I said, yeah, and we're putting the hunt on, but we ain't going to stand out there any later. We're going to get in and get out as quick as we can. And people people don't understand that, that we try to save our fields and put as less pressure on the birds as we possibly can. That's right. A lot of times, the outfitters are great conservationists. People just don't understand. We put back and try to help the birds as much as possible. Hell, they want to sit there all day and educate 25 flocks of birds just to get one or two more in yeah. a bag or they want to shoot he'll shoot me shoot he shoots me shoots fuck that we'll be here all day if we do it that way with eight guys yeah we're fucking all shooting at once and we're all getting out of here quickly yep you sure mess up your birds if you over educate them they get smart fast enough anyway yeah what hunts stick in your mind as ones you really remember the first Peanut field I hunted in, we did over by, by Mac Atkins' house at Rochester. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know how to hide, but we was out in the middle of the field and lay down there, Dad, and use that, put your head on that deal, and then pretty soon he said, close your eyes, and you come over and threw an armload of stubble in my face. <laughs> I said, you ain't going to get people come here and pay money. Get treated like that. That ain't going to work. I think I think his teeth was gritted, and it's, God damn it, Jeff, you ain't fucking doing that shit again. Don't put shit in my face again. Ain't nobody going to pay out here to come here and get shit thrown in their fucking face. So he was pissed. I think Matt Reagan was on that hunt. I believe he probably was. But. That was a learning experience this first year. Boy, I tell you what, I wish we had the stubble in the field now like we did oh, then. Oh, boy. Gosh, I'm mighty. I looked at some old pictures when yeah. we were looking through Dave's, 
And the hell, it, stubble was half a foot tall all in them fields. Yeah. It was amazing. Crazy. Just as thick as they are when there's peanuts growing on them. You can just walk down and drag your foot sideways and have a big old pile and reach down and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Arm, double arm load. Not anymore. No, sir. And and that was the that was the first that was the first peanut field. That was and, the first and, one I was in. And it took a while to learn. And you've always taken credit for the holes. Yeah. You, tell me how. Remind, tell us how all that started. We because we do something different than anybody else does. I don't know anybody that digs in like we do. We started out in that peanut field with the face full of stubble. But anyway, we got to have something. This ain't going to work. So we went and got some cardboard and put over. So well, the stubble would cover it up, but it slide right off pretty quick. Yeah. And I don't know how the idea got scooping out a little indention place for your body, but it just, I got to digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And in that sandy, in them sandy fields, it's pretty easy digging. And so we, I finally perfected a hole was where you had a backrest and you was completely ground level and you could put a piece of plywood over you and cover it with the stubble from the field and you look like he's part of the field. It's pretty comfortable and stuff and a lot of people don't want to dig. People are lazy. There was a day that I could. I could dig a lot. and It was just the best way, I think, to hide. I think you'd kill a hell out of deer in a hole like that somewhere too. Yeah. We did that pig hunting one time. Pigs were coming out on a weird spot of the field, and we never could really get a sneak on them. So we just uh, dug a spot about 75 yards from where they come out every day and shot right like that. But the, uh, we've killed lot thousands and oh. thousands of geese in holes. Yes. I would say close to, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't even know how many. I would say 100,000 birds probably. Surprised. And people still will bitch about having to dig a hole, but they love the results. Then when they ha- they don't dig a hole, and they lay, I had some old guys here one time, and the guy was so worried about digging a fucking hole. Mm-hmm. And he goes, man, we don't want to dig holes. I said, well, we can hunt in the wheat. We don't dig in, but we're laying on the, oh, that's fine. He come in that day, all fucking back was all wretched up and shit. And he said, boy, I sure tomorrow can we hunt in some, dig some holes. I said, yep. <laughs> Even the layouts are terrible. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you stick an old guy in one of those layouts, and it's not near as comfortable. As no. what he could be if he was in a hole. The holes are warmer. You're out of the wind. Uh-huh. You're down. It's comfortable. You can move around a little bit. You can cheat and move around. You can't cheat when you're doing any of that other stuff, but you can move in there. I always dug mine deep enough I could put my dog between my legs. It's my leg warmer, I always said, but he'd be down in the hole with me under the board. Now, you used to use Johnny warmers back in the day, too, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I had still got some somewhere, I think, but. Then you had a bad experience. Yeah, I spilled lighter fluid on my leg, and it was about to eat me up, boy. And I was down in the hole, and I couldn't get out, and I couldn't reach it. And it's a long ass morning, I can tell you that. Then another time, it it, it got out of that little. You used to keep them in socks because you always lo- you always lost the uh, silk liner. Yeah, I. You had it in your vest, and 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 uh, came out of the sock, didn't it? And got right on your bare skin. Yeah, I kind of got scorched a couple times, but they sure did keep you warmer. Kept you real, real warm by setting a fire in your lap. Uh, what was your first goose hunt, Dad? My first goose hunt. Do you remember your first successful goose hunt that you ever been on? Well, I remember shooting that goose at the dairy down at Winthorpe over the duck decoys. Mm-hmm. And then I had some there. I didn't have no real successful ones until out in here. And then you're not a quitter. 
because I grew up, we goose hunted a bunch, but I don't remember us killing any geese hardly ever. Not many. We shot lots of ducks. Two or three. We killed lots and lots and lots of ducks, but the geese always kind of eluded us. Wasn't the cranes. I chased them for miles and miles and miles, so I finally got some of them working. Yeah, we had a lot of zeros crane hunting growing up. I remember you made silhouettes, a bunch of silhouettes. I did. We never could get them to work really right. And then, you know what? Looking back now, we just couldn't hide. That's right. We'd sit on a five-gallon paint bucket in the fucking middle of them with gray sweats on. They'd be coming right at us, and they'd just 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 go away. Drift away. Never, ever would have thought about fucking building us a blind like we have now, and that would have worked. That's all we needed. Oh, I know it. Hell, I, the, that A-frame works fine, great. Isn't you know, that what you call them? Yeah. yeah. I think that's one thing that probably has been a big benefit to us over all these years is we had a big trial growing up hunting. It's not like today where the where, – and I'm not getting on the flat-billed kids because I've had some of them message me like, I know you don't like flat-billed – I don't have nothing against you being a flat-billed kid. I'm glad you're hunting. It's just how we reference you. Yes. But they don't – they never had to go through – we didn't have YouTube. We could, you couldn't look at a YouTube video and figure out how somebody was shooting a crane. We didn't know anybody else was crane hunting. There wasn't no one within 100 miles crane hunting of us ever. Goose hunting and duck hunting, we never saw anybody else hunting hardly. No. And so... No resources on how to blow a call. No. I, I, Very I, little. The first time I ever saw anybody blow a duck call that halfway could sound like a duck call, me and Dad were in a store called Gibson's, and I wish they still had Gibson's, and it was a... It would, I would call it a miniature Walmart kind of. It was. It was a, but they they sold everything there. And they had a sporting goods department, but they sold duck decoys. They sold everything. It was, like, you, it, it was the way stores used to be. And the guy at the gun counter wasn't a guy making minimum wage. that didn't know shit about it. It was a gun guy. And he hunted. And he, you could talk to him. But we were in there, and Jesse Payne. Oh, Jesse. He was my buddy. And, and he, he had a duck call, and he started blowing a duck call in there. Now, by today's standards, he was not a very good duck caller. But at that time, he was really pretty good. Yeah, Jess, Jess, I did my first goose hunting, actually, with Jesse, probably. That you killed some geese. Yeah. And I've I've been with him and did, hell, we'd take a shovel and turn mud over along the edge of a pond Mm -hmm. and look like clumps. It was just a few old tires cut out for decoys. Yep. But when I started goose hunting with Jesse and when you guys were growing up, we didn't have the birds like we have now, and we'd hunt a flock of geese. Yep. We'd You see if some geese land on a field, what time is it? And then tomorrow, if they landed on it at that same time, about the third or fourth day, they come at that same time, you'd be out there set up ready, and, that, and you could shoot two. Mm-hmm. That was the limit. And proud to shoot two Damn birds. Damn right. And it's hard to do, but, but that was goose hunting. We didn't have flock after flock after flock. Mm-hmm. In 1983, things froze up. It froze on Thanksgiving Day, and it stayed frozen until New Year's Day. And we hunted at Winchester Lake. And if if you saw two flocks of geese or three in a day earlier in the year, man, the geese are really here. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, man, when that while that freeze was going on, they was coming. They, this country filled up with geese, like we'd never seen before. And we had a there was a hole in some trees back in that trees were sheltered, and the birds was keeping the water open in that little old hole. That little hole wasn't as big as this dining room here. It, 
and the ice was so thick you could stand on the edge with your toes sticking over the edge. And, but the bird, it was just black with droppings from the geese mm. and ducks. And we'd just ease in there and just for daylight and stand in some salt cedar side by side. And the birds would fly out when we walked in, but they'd, have, they'd be coming back in just a little bit. And we had live decoys too. Yeah, we had some little grebes. Grebes in there, and they'd they'd dive when the action was going on, and they'd pop back up when. Mm-hmm. But here comes some more ducks, and we'd we'd roll them over, and what well, thirty minutes we'd be out of there, maybe with mm-hmm. a, our limits. Well, you said you'd shoot, and corn would spill out of them, didn't you? Yeah, they hit, the hit the ice and split their craw, and corn just slide across. I don't even know where the corn was coming from. No corn in this country, mm-hmm. not that I knew of. But there wasn't a lot of open water nowhere. Uh-uh. They might have been coming clear in the Panhandle or up in Oklahoma somewhere. Now, also, Dad, if you if you think back to them days, and I just had a freaking brain fart. But what I was thinking about, oh, I know what it was. What was our limit back then? When I first started duck hunting, before y'all was even born, you could see three ducks, and then that was the limit for a long time. But when we started hunting together. You could shoot 10 if you shot the right ducks in the right order. Mallard drakes were 20 points, and Mallard hens was 90 points. 70. I think they were 70. Well, I don't. But but pintails was 10, and gadwalls was 10. and So you could shoot nine ducks, and then you could shoot a Mallard hen. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd shoot a Mallard hen just whenever. You just knew you could shoot six other ducks or something. Yeah, 70. but the game wardens carried thermometers. Stick it up. And they'd stick it in their rear and find out which one was coldest, been dead the longest, and they'd write you up if it was. Now, that that was the limit by the federal regs. That was federal limit was 10 100 points. The bird that equals or exceeds 100 points. So but, so if you get that mallard hen last, you're fine. Right. Yeah. But, but if you shot that mallard hen first, which was 70 points. A lot of them got stomped in the mud. <laughs> what what? But let's talk, Dad. What Not was, necessarily what, from y'all. Yeah. What was our limit, Dad? When we run Me out of and shells. Tom, that's right. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the hunt at Lake Diversion? I do. When we were when we were kids, my dad had a friend named Lane Crow, and Lane was if you lived around Wichita Falls, Lane was a waterfowl icon. I would say there, yeah. probably the old timer, probably the best well known. Him and Jesse Payne were the two great guys. But anyways, we went to Lake Diversion. Lake Diversion's a private lake. It's owned by the asshole that owns the Los Angeles Rams now. Cronky. It's a private. You can't get in there. But anyways, it's a big lake. It's the city of Wichita Falls. Well, Lane, Lane had a house there, and we would go there, and we'd stay for the weekend or something. And we, Dad had a boat that had a frame. I guess you you had a boat that you made a blind out of. Made PVC pipe frame on an aluminum boat. Just snap it together when you got where you was going. And had swivel seats in it. And 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 when I was a kid, this was the this was the this is what. I really enjoyed about me as a kid growing up. This is my experiences that I didn't get to pass on to my kids because I was busy doing this for a living, but I didn't get to really hunt with them like I do, and I regret that. But we would go to Lake Diversion. We'd go up there in the boat. Dad would take a lunch. We'd take a lunch, a, a lunch box with our lunch in it and drinks. And Dad had an old transistor radio, and we'd listen to college football or pro football if it was a Sunday or Saturday, and we'd hunt all day. Or a lot of times we were done real early, but we took a deal with it. We took a hundred shells, and when we shot a hundred shells, we were done. Oof. And we would go up there and we took that blind up and we'd pull in the cattails. And Dad had twenty six herder floaters, 
And we, 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 we did way overkill on the duck decoys then because that boat was fucking full of decoys. You were sitting on decoys. We probably had two dozen mallard decoys, three dozen teal decoys, two dozen pintail decoys, and 26 floater geese. I mean, I bet I bet we look like Mexican on moving day when we were going to fucking blind with shit piled up us in there. But we'd set all them decoys out, and the fun would start. And opening day of duck season, I'm going to say probably around 1980, so the statute of limitations are running on this. We shot 43 or 44 ducks, and 26 of them were canvas bags. <laughs> and it was a 100-point duck back then. <laughs> one canvas back was it, huh? Yeah. We shot 26 of them one morning. But we shot a lot of birds. We killed a lot of birds. But that, that that was my childhood was getting to go, and we did that all the time. Dad didn't go hunt with his buddies and stuff. He took times <coughs> with me and Tony. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was it. And I, I'm assuming right off the bat you realized that I was a lot smarter than Tony. <laughs> no comment <laughs> but uh but that was my childhood growing up as we hunted at like diversion we had to come up here and we hunted the playa lakes up here we were fortunate enough to do that and i live when i go by lake winchester i think about my first goose i killed there when i was about 10 years old I remember that. and that was my experiences in life and i never would have thought then that I would be making a living and driving by that lake every day and i'd be hunting on the peanut filter i just never would have ever guessed that yeah, what saw, a great life, man. I saw a guy at the oncology clinic Monday that, that we used to hunt with up there with Elaine, old big Norman Jones. Uh-huh. Saw him there, and old Dizzy Stone used to hunt with us out there all the time. He, was, he goes, I've seen him over a couple times. Maybe there's something in a duck blind that gives you cancer <laughs> since everybody's going to the same cancer doctor. You but, know, Dave brought up a dog that I forget about. Puff. Puff. Puff was a dandy. How old was she when she finally died? 11 or 12. And Beavis was 12? Yeah. That's old for a lab, though, That's no? old for my dogs. They had a rough and tumble life. And well, I think any hunting dog, I think 12 is... If if, if you told every waterfowl hunter out there <clears throat> that you're going to get 12 years out of a dog, I think, they'd, I think most would sign up for that, probably. Puff had 100 puppies. God damn. She had, <sighs> she had 10 litters. And she raised her puppies, every one of them, all the time. And sometimes she had 11 and one time 9, but she had 100 puppies. And her old nipples would hang down like I heard somebody <laughs> saying. <laughs> yeah. And her last goose, well, her next to the last goose, we had some Dallas Cowboy football players mm-hmm. over on the Netherly or somewhere over there. And, and I sent her after a, a speckle belly. And she come back without it, and she had blood on her nose. And I didn't see it flogger. I don't know what happened. But she never picked up another speckle belly the rest of her life. That was it. And then the season was over, and it was Valentine's Day, and I was starting a fire to cook some pork chops or something. And the geese were flying over the house from Lake Davis, and there were some white ones mixed in, and so I Thought I'd go get old Rusty and stand it here, and maybe I'd get to shoot one of them white ones. Mm-hmm. A little bit, here come some binders, about four on end, and I reached up and hit one, and it come gliding out and circled around behind my big pecan tree, and I could see it go east, and I could watch it, and it went down up in the road up there. So I put down the gun, and I walked her out towards the road, and I lined her up and sent her down the road, and she come back with that little brant. And snow it, goose. And it was still alive. Was a brand of snow goose, what'd you kill? It was a it was a Ross. 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 Okay. Ross. Okay. 
And and so we I'd had a say friend. You're, you're incriminating yourself. No. If it was a Brant. Well, I've killed Brant's two legal black here. Brant. I killed. It was after years. season. He. That's oh. how he started the story. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but we had we had a friend that had fixed him a pond and had it lined, and he'd mentioned that he'd like to have some cripples put on his pond, and so she's holding her head up. So I got it from Puff, and I looked it over, turned her over, and some gun was banded. No shit. And it wasn't real bloody, so I put it in my dog box, and next morning I opened the door and it was dead. But oh. but Puff's last goose was abandoned. Abandoned Ross. Ross. That's awesome. Did you call in the information on it? I'm sure I probably did, but it's been 15 years ago or something. She she retrieved a lot of birds, too. She did. Now, how is she, rela- is she related to Beavis? Aunt. Beavis, Beavis so that's not, his, that's not his mother. No, I... I could take her to an all-age field trial and run her as a test dog, and I'd, I'd wish to hell that I'd entered her in the trial because she'd do the test jam up. <laughs> but but she, whenever you get to the blind retrieve, she trying to line her, and she'd get kind of alley, and she I, I just didn't trial her. She just but she could do the work, man. She could do it all. Now she did she have some puppies that made it on the field trial circuit? Uh, I think she had. Had one or two that did a little bit, but but no FCs or nothing. And I mean, she was she was every day. It was you and Puff. I mean, she did it all. Oh, I could stop her on a whistle half a mile away, but Rhea was the same way. They were both under control more than Beavis, but Beavis did the work and did a hell of a job. But Tony didn't press the issue on the fine tuning on the handling like I do. That was a man's man's dog, though, boy. Woof. He was a something else. Um, you've probably been around some of the greatest field trial dogs in the history of the United States. I've been around some of the ones that were the best during the years that I was there. Otis Redfern and True Mark's Hot Pursuit and True Mark's Honcho and True Mark's Zip Code and Volwood's Rough and Ready, Rippin' Blue Thunder. They Rippin' Blue Thunder and Otis – were both sold for fifty thousand dollars back in the eighty first, eighty two three. Rip and Volwood's Rough and Ready was sold for fifty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty four. Rip and Blue Thunder sold for fifty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty six. No, and that's where all your dogs come from. Yeah, I trained with Larry, and and Rip was really doing good, and I was the vice president of the Wichita Falls Retriever <coughs> Club, and. We had our spring trial in 1984, and there was a guy from Minnesota and a lady from Dallas, and, and Larry had already titled him both ways at two years old. And they started a bidding war on him at our field trial, and then the next week in Amarillo at their field trial, they made the deal, and Larry sold Rip for 50 grand. What's somebody going to do with a dog, $50,000 dog? Just playing the game. These guys got a lot of money, some of them, and – and this is 1984. That's a lot of money. $50,000. Yeah, that's a lot of money. But a lot of money today. You can buy a puppy. Now puppies are $2,000. Not unusual at all for puppies. And if if you, you buy a $2,000 puppy and then you send it to a trainer at $600 a month, that's $6,000 a year plus birds and stuff. So they got, they, they don't know what they got till the dog's two years old. And then mm-hmm. they've got, 20 grand tied up in it and it's a dud well they can go out and buy one that's winning and maybe if they can find one that they can buy but 
But did that $50,000 investment, I mean, does that pay off in the end for this guy? Some people don't care. They take it, put it with a pro and spend $6,000 a year, seven, $8,000 a year with the pro campaign and don't ever go to their house. It's an investment. It's just a prestige thing yeah. if, you, if that's your sport. Huh. Money's not an object if you got a lot of it. Now, John paid for Rip with a rough with breeding him for a year. In a year, he sold enough stud fees to pay for him. But Jesus. Now, you hunted, rough hunted, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And I've took birds from Trumark Zip Code on in training. It, it, is being with one of those dogs, is it like just being around a thoroughbred? Yeah. Just, just, a, just a different – Just something's different about them. That's, well, they're just – trained you're you're tuned up with them you know right so i mean you you can tell just in the demeanor of a dog oh yeah like ollie over there ollie, <laughs> ollie wasn't gonna be a field champion could you imagine in 1983 that there'd be a, such a thing called a labradoodle and we'd be looking at it in the <laughs> lodge floor of the big honker dining room <laughs> no that's fucking bump on a log he, i tell you what that dog's got a lot of talent he really does he's smart as hell well he, he's living the life he likes to live He's got potential. I don't know if he's got any talent. I think talent is something that comes later, but he's, he's got potential. He's got the bird instinct, and he's got wheels. So are dogs like uh, Rip and Blue Thunder and, and Trumark, are they just always on and always just this intense, intense dog to be around? Well, Ruff, that son of a bitch ought to glowed in the dark. He absorbs a damn much electricity. <laughs> <laughs> and when you – when, when somebody tells you, say, yeah, that dog's tough, I say, no, that son of a bitch is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to shock him every fucking day <laughs> to do the same command for right. two years, he ain't tough. He's, he's dumb. He's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of sense. Did, makes a lot of sense. Now, Lou Andy's dog, does he got the – does he have the – could he have been a field trial dog, you think? Oh, yeah. He's got, got, got the talent just – He's got a lot of drive. He just wasn't tuned in a way. But know. I'm just talking about if you'd have taken sure. him and tried to field trial him. Well, yeah. Because he's, he's got a lot more go than most dogs do. Yeah, I think. I've never been around a dog that has the go that him. And I've noticed this last year that Lou is slowing up a lot. He's just getting old. He, he don't, he's not as fast. He's getting bigger and he's older. Well, he is big. I mean, he is a lot bigger than he used to be. But, I mean, he's just eight. How old is he, six? Mm. Yeah. Six. Six years old, and he's retrieved a lot of birds, mm -hmm. and he's got a lot of work in him. But I mean, he's just—you can tell—he's getting—he's—he's he's getting to the down. I mean, he's on the winging side of his career now. He's not in the prime like he was three years ago, or two years ago. Well, I don't. Well, I think I don't know about that. But I think he's in his prime right now. He's—he just never been had things demanded of him that that the other dogs do. They don't have to be under absolute control all the time because ain't nobody standing back there with a clipboard drawing pictures. And the thing, the thing with Lou to me is there's a lot of things that, you know, if we knock 10, 12, 15 out of a flock, I can't, per, you know, I can't mark every one perfectly. So a lot of times when there's a situation like that, I'll just say back to Lou and he can take his pick from whatever's out there. It's a different it, situation with a hunting dog than it's a field trial dog, no right, doubt. Right, So, I mean, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his things that, that would knock him on a situation like that are things that I let him get by with just because, you know, we're kind of under the gun with picking up birds or, you know, something something like that where I can just take your pick out there and then just bring one back to me is all that I really 
care about. Now, when when we're doing marks and stuff like that, he's got to be a little bit more under control. But you know, it's just different situations. Talent wise, Lou is as good a dog as Beavis was. Beavis is a better citizen and better around the house, a better pet. Because Lou don't know how to settle down. He's getting better. Well, he's six now. He should be. Well, how old was Beavis when he started settling down around the house? Uh, he was he grew up in the house. He was. He so never was. Yeah, but he was never as you could pet him and love on him, and he wouldn't try to crawl uh, in your lap and stuff where Lou does. Lou just Lou just gets going. He's just a big. And I don't understand that because Lou was raised in the house. Yeah, but he's just a different. And he was shown affection. Yeah, but he's wired different. That's what I'm saying. He's he's got a ton of go that most dogs don't have. He has more go than Beavis did, mm-hmm. but. When it comes to being a pet, being able to love on him and stuff like that, Lou goes, he's the Gronkowski of the dog world. You're right. He really is. And well, I, and I saw I saw a funny meme the other day. It was talking about labs. It's uh, They're never out of that puppy stage. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're just a fucking puppy, but they're, in Lou's case, 105 pounds. And when you pet him, next thing you know, he's in your lap, which when you're 105 pounds and all elbows and feet, that doesn't feel so good. So Ed Acock had a dog named True Marks Hot Pursuit that was big news in the field trial world in the 80s and called him Pee-wee or Percy. And first nationals that he took him to, Ed was standing there watching the, the birds fall, first one and then the next one and then the next one and and waiting for the judge to say dog to release him and, and and there's a dog running around out there, and it's there's a dog out there, and that judge says, "Yeah, it's yours." And he dog had left him. And you, uh, <coughs> you've been around some really interesting people in the dog world, no doubt about it. And I want to go back to Lou real quick with uh, with because I can hear a lot of guys right now that you know you you should send the dog to one bird and straight back. But in my thinking is is I want a dog that's smart enough to know that if he sees a cripple running away that he can abandon the bird that he's on and go for the cripple like that to me in my mind that's a good job that's that's makes sense beavis was like that that's the instincts but 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 for the for the purist out there that's saying no it's wrong he should go to the bird that you sent it on come straight back i think it's it's kind of a dumb approach to have whenever you're you know i want to like you said i don't want a dumb dog i want a dog that's got a little bit of common sense to him and oh there's a fucking bird running Maybe I ought to go start with him. <laughs> the purist also would send his dog in a pond when a dog can run around the edge of the pond and get a bird and come back ten times faster. I'd rather have the dog go around the edge of the pond than go through the damn pond. If you remember Rhea, dog I got in England, I could she could start stop to pick up a goose and I could blow a whistle and she'd sit and look at me and I could cast her away. I could right. send her through eighteen dead birds and get one walking away. Now that's Im- that's important too. I it th- is. I think that's real important too, and that's something. How do you train for something like that? Get out there in that big field and run them long ass blinds and do poison birds, what we call it, when you either throw one and don't let them get it, make them go on past. Make it them or, go past it. Or, but that, there's drills for that. But it takes a helper. And is there any? Uh, sure, there's no way to do that without electricity, is there? Yeah. How would you do it? Well, the best way is with electricity. Best way is the with quickest the, way. The quickest, most humane way is electricity. Right when it gets to it, say, w- what do you say? Sit? No. Sit, no. Back. Bump them. Just bump them. No, you might not have to bump them. Well, if they're, odds honest, are, if they're honest enough, you won't have to bump them. Just blow the whistle and they stop. And they just. But odds are, if you've got a marker out there and then you throw a marker short 
and they see the marker fall and you want them to go off of that one to the one that they didn't see, odds are they're going to pick up the one that they saw. That's where the training comes in. You practice with a lot of kind of drills like that. <clears throat> but just saying no probably isn't going to do the trick the first time. Or well, sit. Probably, maybe not the first time, but if, when, they, when they do it all the time like Korea did for two or three years, they they know you stop them and you give them a cast and they trust you. Right. That's what it's all about. they got to trust your signal. You can I can tell with Lou, too, whenever he starts, maybe I marked it wrong or, you know, about three sets and three different hand signals, and he starts kind of, all right, asshole, where's this bird at that, you, <laughs> that you've got me at? So, But that, you know, it's just like you said, it's something that you got to build in your dog, and you got to build that trust. Uh what do you think about dogs living in the house? you think that they should be in a kennel uh, like a field child dog? That's all business. No, I think it's fine for a dog living in the could, house. Could Rip and Blue Thunder, could he live in the house? Or he did. did he live in the house? He, he did. He did. He was their only dog, wasn't he? Boy, that yeah. hospital really wants to get a hold of you, don't they? Yeah, they'll say. Uh, so, so those kind of dogs could turn the switch on and off. Yeah. They could go from being a citizen to time to perform you know the dog that the dogs that that have the least control or the dogs where they live in the yard and the guy comes gonna go train and he comes uh-huh. in and loads him up and they go to the field uh-huh. that dog's been running around that yard all day chasing the mailman down the fence or cat down the alley or he's been doing what he what wanted he to, to do, do all day well he's right. tired yeah Dad comes home from work, going to go train. Hell, the dog's as tired as Dad is. Yeah. And so he's not going to perform. You put that sucker in a crate or in a small kennel until you get him out to go do what you're going to do, and you'll see a whole different dog. I used to have young airmen that come look me up in Wichita Falls when they'd get come there in their service, and they'd have a little dog and ask for some help and stuff, and I'd come on and go train with me. My dogs would just go out and boom, boom, boom. Their old dog was just a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing I'd ask them. Well, you got a kennel or do you, oh, we got a nice big yard. Right. Well, that's the problem. Your dog's yeah. wore out before he comes out here. And he's probably used to doing what he wants to do. Yeah. The dog's been all day long doing just exactly what he wanted to do. And all night the night before. And there's <laughs> there's no uh, no boundaries, I guess. How many how many people you've to, have you noticed also that think just because they have a a whistle and a shot collar that they can start screaming to commands that dogs never learned oh, well. and but they think they should know that just because of that a dog an electric collar is I tell people it's just like a guitar how many people you know that have a guitar hmm. how many of those people can play it and a dog Less. A, Try an electric collar is just like a guitar. It's just it's an instrument, and it's just as good as the hand that holds it. Yeah. But you can't make a dog do hand signals and set if they haven't, you know, if they haven't been taught that. Just screaming at them is not going to do it. That's that's exactly right. And then and then there's you got to consider distances. If when you push that button on that collar, it reacts at the speed of the light, instant. Mm-hmm. But when you raise your hand to say back or over, when that dog's sitting out there 150 yards away from you, he's going to see that at the speed of the light. 
But when you holler back or over and that dog's 150 yards away, he's going to be going with your signal before he hears that sound. And he's going to turn around and say, what the hell? Is I thought I was doing right. Right. I mean, you got to practice your timing with your vis, vis, visual and your sound. That That's something I've taken away um, just from our time together was – because there's been a lot of times, you know, Lou's downwind, can't really hear me all that great, or, or however the fuck you say it, with the wind blowing in my face, where he can't really hear me as well. And it's sometimes I don't even make a sound if I don't think, if I think that it's, you know, not going to mesh well. I'll just show him the hand signal and let him go. But um, it, it that is actually true because I can remember one time vividly, I didn't have, Lou was a long way out there and I said over and did the the sig- the hand signal at the same time and he went and then you could tell that sound hit him and he stopped and time we, it. we were in the weeds at that point cuz that's that was one of that was in the early days of the Lou and Andy show and <laughs> I mean it is you know back in back in those days like mm. I said you kind of right now it's it's about three or four hand signals and Lou starts kind of cowboying it with me back in those days it was Pray to God we get one good hand signal out of the deal. <laughs> and I fucked it up, and we were in the weeds. They're in your idiot flats is what I call. Yeah. No, we really were. But it, is it harder, Dad, to train a dog or to train someone to train to run the dog? I've got a dear friend that you can answer that question with. Just Stephen Barber. Stephen O. Barber. <laughs> I'll no, tell you right now. I can tell you right now. The dog's smarter than Steve is. If you tied his hands together, he wouldn't be able to make a sentence. What? Ollie. And there's <laughs> must be here. Jesus. But, but I had to do some studying watching Steve to understand what why he was having problems with the dog that I'd trained. And I finally finally figured it out and helped him. And, what was he doing? Well, okay, for, for starters, when I teach a dog to look down a line, to go on a line, I'll have him set at heel and your your toe that the dog's on that side of your body should face right where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. And and so when I teach when I'm teaching that to a little old pile, you know, set the dog down and say when they're looking where I want them, that's it. And then when their head swings off the side, no. When it comes back to center, that's it. No, that's it. And when when they really when they get locked in on something and you don't know what their ears will come up so you know they're concentrating where you want them to go and just say back so i teach no that's it no that's it no that's it back well steve's trying to do that but as you know he hurries at everything he does right he, he gets in a big hurry so he was he was sitting thunder down there and and then he'd say that's it back He's, he's saying back before that's it was over. Mm-hmm. Well, he take two steps and turn around and look up at him. He's sit trying to do right, but I thought I heard sit instead yeah. of that's it. Yeah. And it took me a while to watch him figure that one out. Right. Did, did have you also? What about the guy that gives three voice commands for one thing? Don't that drive you crazy? All of some of them start talking to him. Any time the dog leaves you, if you start talking to it, you're distracting it. So it starts thinking about back where you're at, especially young dogs. You know, mm-hmm. go get it, go fetch it up, go find it. Yeah, let the fucker work. 
shut up. Let it, let it do its thing, you know, or give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's only the, there's a couple times that I'll do that, but that's if like if it's me and Lou in waist high grass, I'm like go find it, and that's it. I'm not because I, I don't know where it's at. He's got to use his nose for that. But yeah, I don't know why anybody would constantly. Like you said, it's just breaking their concentration. And the, you want them to look for something out there? Well, don't be talking to them where you're at because they'll be thinking about you. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, we see a lot of dogs in the year. And less than half of them are good. The the half the dogs we see are not very good dogs. I'd say more than that, probably. Oh, I was trying to be real nice, but the dogs that we do see that are good are exceptionally good. We saw some exceptional dogs this year, but boy, the ones when we see when they're bad, gosh, mighty. And the and, and I could, when they called me on the phone, I, I had this call more than once this year. A guy calls me up and he's like, "Hey, Jeff," he said. Are we allowed to bring dogs on this hunt? You know, you got a corporate hunt, a private hunt. Yeah, you should you can bring a dog. Well, one of my clients has a dog, and he wants to bring it. But if you told me that he couldn't bring his dog, that would be okay with us. You're not going to hurt my feelings. So do you want me to tell you that this guy don't need to bring his dog? That's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> I said, okay, tell him that he can't take a dog up here. He said, and that helps me out. I can say, well, Jeff said we can't take a dog up there. And he said, because, he said, that dog isn't any good. And but they think it is. They think dog stays home all the time. But it's a Labrador Retriever, so they think if it's a Labrador Retriever, it can hunt. Yeah. And that and, and especially on a goose hunt, a duck hunt is very easy to hide a dog usually because you got a blind. You can put it. So if a dog's doesn't break in all honor, it's no problem at all. But that dog that on a goose hunt you can't do that shit because you got to be hidden. Well, the next thing, worst thing I hate to hear or see is a group coming up with two or three dogs. Oh, that's a ridiculous too. Oh, we hunt together, and they always go with us. Well, man, they've, they've had some circuses that way. Yeah. yeah. I've seen guys go back in different cars, and they came in from here, too. We had a big dog fight early in the year. Big, big dog fight. But it was same type deal. Oh, they hunt together all the time. Well, guess what? They both... Uh, when was this? It was early in the year. It this was past season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was in November. I guess I didn't know about it. It was bad. Like, drew blood, and uh, one of the guys reached in to break it up. I don't know how he didn't get bit. I kind of do remember this now. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you who it was off air. Okay. But I've, been, it, I've been bit trying to break him up before. I mean, he did. He These dogs are going at it, and he reached down right in the middle of them, grabbed, grabbed one collar, yanked it away. How he didn't get bit, I don't know, because the teeth were a gnashing. And it, 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 was, it was something to see in the blind. And they did it three or four times before they finally separated them well, over two days. I'm 51 years old, and I've learned you don't try to break up a dog fight, and nope. you don't try to break up two girls fighting and put your hand between them because <laughs> you're going to get bit, yeah. and then you're going to fall off of a freaking apartment with a bunch of whole other people <laughs> when, it, when the, when the – whatever it's called collapses, the deck collapses. So. Well, Ron, go get your blood. We really appreciate you coming on again. We'll have you on in a couple more weeks and do all this again and talk about some other things. Well, You've got all a, kinds of hunting stories oh, to fuck. tell, too. Well, it's been an hour, and I feel like we Speaking of dogs fighting, do you remember the um, – didn't you rescue a pit bulldog one time at the fire station? Not that I remember. I thought a lady had a dog that was choking one time. No, I've, I've CPR'd one at the vet clinic no, no, one no, day. No. You had a lady one time had brought a dog in, and her collar was choking her. Some good-looking gal, you said. 
I don't remember this. Well, it was a story along. Maybe you lied to us then. <laughs> and you said that she come in and she's needing help. My dog's chuck deal. And well, you jumped right up. Well, here, I'll help you. And you walked outside. It was a pit bull dog. You don't remember that? I don't remember it. Oh. He lied to you. Yeah, you lied to us, I guess. We've got pressing issues there, Jefferson. All right, Dad. So, it was good having you on here. I am smarter than Tony, right? <laughs> I can't comment on that. That's a yes, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. You're not denying it. That's for damn sure. <laughs> if you thought he was smarter, you'd said, well, hell no. <laughs> Tony has his role, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he does his job, and you do yours. All this right. thing works good, and that's, I've been proud to be a part of it. Yeah, it's been a good run, and we're going to do this again in a couple of weeks, and we'll start talking. We'll talk about the lodge more. Can okay. you believe we're only, you know, three months away, about four months? I'm ready. I got a gun repair that I want to shoot. What is it? It's a little Froche automatic 20. Be a good teal gun. Oh, it'd be good at everything. We're going to have a lot of teal hunting this year, too. We'll have some good times during the week. All right, Dad. Love you, man. I'm glad you're on here with us. Hope we could do this a lot more times. Good deal. I enjoyed it very much. Go get your blood. All right. Bye-bye. All right. In honor of the draft coming up tomorrow. Oh, I forgot about that. We are setting our fantasy football draft. Andy, for some reason, thinks this is important. But when you finish ninth every year, you got to have look for something. you got to look forward to something. This is, a, this is a time that I look forward to every year, as I think every fantasy football owner is. There are no other fantasy teams starting their, setting their draft in April. You don't, don't think but, so? No. What do you? How do you think most people set them? Do you think most people set them uh, by how you finish, or do you think most people set them just random? Well, we would all be against doing it by how you finish because every year you'd get a first two or three picks. Right. So that wouldn't be fair to, but, to but people it, like me that finish the first usually. But honestly, how do you think most people set it random, or do you think that they set it by how you finish? Uh, like the real. The NFL only fair does. way to do it is to do it randomly, unless you're in a so. keeper league. If you're in a keeper league, then you could do it because you can trade draft picks. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So you don't think anybody else has set their draft order? I don't. I don't know. You got the NFL draft coming up. I mean, listen. There's there's not a better time to do this than right now. So, um, where do you want to be? There's 14 teams in our league. Where do you want to be um, in the draft? One through three, or 12, 13, 14. I'd extend it a little bit. I would. I'd go. I, I'm right there with you though. One one to one to about five and then nine to about fourteen, I'm good. We're in a keeper league, so No, we're not. I mean I mean not a keeper, we're in a PPR league, points per reception league. And we take two quarterbacks. Two quarterbacks start, super flex. And today, if the draft was today and I had the first pick, I would take Saquon Barkley. Me too. And I would take Zeke number two. Mm, and me I too. hate the Dallas Cowboys. Me too. And I hope I'm not number two where I have to take him because I can't I don't think I could root for that bug eyed bastard. I would I don't know. I still don't know what's going on with Todd Gurley. I'd go Saquon, Zeke. I wouldn't touch Saquon Barkley at the sixth pick. What? I wouldn't. I would not take Saquon Barkley in the first round. I mean, not Saquon Barkley. I'm sorry. I wouldn't take Todd, Todd Gurley. Gurley. Todd I would Gurley. not take Todd Gurley in the first round. And then I would probably go Michael Thomas I mean, or or DeAndre Hopkins. Probably DeAndre Hopkins. I would go those two running backs and then wide receiver. Anyway. Time to set the draft order. Okay, we're going to generate a new draft order. Oh my goodness! I'm going to let you push the button, Andy. He's going to let me push. He always the button, thinks I cheat gentlemen. every year. Is it ready? To, is it ready for me to push it? It says select an order, snaking draft, generate. New oh, order. I'm so nervous here. One to five or nine to fourteen is what I'm hoping for here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's push it. Oh, 
I think what? we got to go here. For, oh, no. What? I did it. What happened? That's it. I don't. I don't see any results. It's fixing to do it right now. What do we got? We got to go to the front page now. What happened? We got to go to the front page. It's going to show it. Oh, I can't even sit in my commissioner random draft. Order. I can't here even sit in my chair. <laughs> what? Oh, I what? got it right here. What? what? Okay. Where's it at? Uh, first not- pick is Cracker Headed Cracker, which That's would be Tony. Tony. Uh, Zach has the second pick. <sighs> Matt Acre has the third pick. Where am I at? Uh, Go to the goat. It's easy to find. You're number thirteen. Good. I'll take that. I am six. And I'm nine. Fuck, I got horrible picks. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the draft order for this Where's year. Where's Howith at? Howith is number 12. So he's right ahead of me? Yep. So I'll get two good picks back to back. Number six pick is probably going to be Patrick Mahomes. I would take Patrick Mahomes there, if he's still there. Yeah, if he's number six, that's where he will two go. Qu- two quarterback league, that's definitely what I would do. Tony has first pick in the deal. <sighs> anyway. That's that. I'm happy with that. I like. I like. I like a quick turnaround. Who's the 14th pick? Did you, did you see that? Who's going to pick? I right think after Jerry. Him? Fucking Jerry. You and Jerry are always together, anyways. I hate that. Yep, fucking Jerry's guy. 14. God, I hate that guy. <laughs> Where's Webb? Webb is like uh, 11. Ooh. 11, 12, 13, 14. Y'all are all together. Wow. And I'm nine. And I see, uh, that's that's boom. the that's the heavy hitter part of the draft right there. How do you consider that? The heavy you got, hitter. You got Webb, me, and uh, Howith. Andy's never won the league, but he considers himself the GOAT, so that will tell you that much. Look at my winning percentage, Jeff. I, 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 nothing else. Well, I was glad to get Dad on. Yeah, Dad's that was sick good. again, and I don't know how many more things we're going to have. I'm going to get him again on a couple of weeks because he's on a pretty good roll there. Let's go get him some blood, blood transfusion. Fuck, get his they blood called back. him eight times. He wasn't worried about it. No, he's not <laughs> worried about it. When you've got Ron, he's going to show up late to everything that he does, but when you've got him – You've got him. Like he, he doesn't care what else is going on. He's going to stay with you until, until he's done. You know, I think about that a lot of times with dad. And I, and I think you know that poor dad, single old man, bachelor, but he, he's one of the happiest people I know. Mm-hmm. But his love in life is dogs and hunting. Yep. And his since he's retired, he's hunted just about every day he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And he's been at this lodge around people and around hunting. And he's got tons of memories. He's been everywhere. Oh, sure. Done what he wanted. Dad has had a damn good life. Mm-hmm. Very, very blessed man. And he's outlived a lot of these things. Oh, the, the doctor I, told I, me the other day. He had said, a lung taken out, had a heart attack, had it's, has leukemia. They hadn't, you know, they've got it at bay. I mean, shit. Now he's got lung cancer again. It's just a fight. Guy that, you know, he had both knees replaced. Guy no, in a neighboring town had his knee replaced and didn't wake up on the operating table. So, I mean... He's a fighter, that's for sure. Yep, he's a tough son of a bitch. That's for damn sure. Number 13. All right, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening, and y'all have a good day.